Hello and welcome to Paranormal Stories. I'm Angel and I'll be your host and I invite you to come with me as we explore the strange, mysterious, fun and sometimes scary elements of paranormal. We are not going to talk about it, we are going to experience it. So come on in, let's have some fun, pop some popcorn, and make sure you leave a light on as we explore paranormal stories. (laughs) Hello everybody and welcome. This is Angel and I am excited to invite you to join me in my very first episode of Paranormal Stories. This is a new feature in our highlighted Paranormal Friday extended broadcasting. This is going to be a fun night for you guys, I hope, um, as we run through our series to cover paranormal stories, um, Mike and his experience um, shares, and then our classic Paranormal Fridays program. What we're going to do together to launch off your Paranormal Friday experience is I'm just going to tell stories from the paranormal. And in this first episode, we are going to keep with the theme of our of our pilot day, and we're going to talk about um, the UFO experience. And I, in that theme, I'm going to cover the uh, Betty and Barney Hill experience from back in 1961. So let me go ahead and get started with with the story today that I'm really looking forward to. But before I do, I want to ask that you go ahead and follow the podcast. If you enjoy it, Um, you can go over to our Facebook page and join to get involved in conversation. If you want to participate, let us know, share the story with people you know, and let's keep this paranormal energy flowing for those who are curious. And thank you for listening. So let's talk about Betty and Barney Hill. So first, who are Betty and Barney Hill? Betty and Barney Hill were a couple. They lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, back in 1961. 1961 was not like it is today. There was a lot of civil unrest. Well, I guess I could say it is kind of like today because we have a lot of that same stuff now. How interesting, right? Well, Betty and Barney Hill were an interracial couple, multi-ethnic couple that lived in the height of the civil rights movement. Betty was white, Barney Hill was African-American. Betty Hill was a social worker and Barney Hill was a postal worker. So they were just an average couple for the most part, living in New Hampshire, living the American dream. Nothing spectacular happening in their life, nothing unusual happening in their life. Everything in their life was just pretty run of the mill until September, 1961. In September, 1961, Betty and Barney Hill were on their way home from a trip to Montreal, Canada. They drove to Montreal, spent some time there. When the time was over, they got in their car and they drove home. Was a it's a pretty long and and not too interesting a a drive because it a lot of it was out in the middle of nowhere and it was nighttime when they were in this specific drive 
September 19th, 1961, they were driving home, as I said, from Montreal to New Hampshire, and they noticed in the darkness that covered them that they saw some unusual lights that occurred to be following them. Really interesting, cool aspect to this. It's so dark because it's 1961. We're not as lit as we are now. So it's very dark. They're driving down this dark, lonely road and these lights are following them. They're like, what are these lights? They're not sure what these lights are. They don't know what they are. And it occurs that these lights are following them. Rather than being distracted by it, they just kept driving. They just kept driving and continued on their, on their journey. One of the things that they talked themselves into trying to figure as they tried to figure out what it was, was that perhaps it was a falling star. Betty actually was the one that came to that conclusion. Maybe we're seeing a falling star. And because it was moving around, maybe it was the moon or even the planet Jupiter. So, so as they continued on their journey down US Route 3, keeping in the story that they what they're looking at is a falling star, they just assumed that everything was okay. During the trip, the movements became more erratic and the object became bigger and brighter. At that point in time, they did the most amazing thing. Betty asked Barney to stop the car so that they could get a closer look. Wow. So they stopped the car. Barney complies and stops the car. They get their dog out of the car. They take their dog for a walk. The dog, dog's name is Delcy. Cute little dog. It's like a little, a little wiener dog, right? And they're taking their dog for a walk. And they stopped in a little beautiful picnic area in the dark with their dog, with these lights bouncing around the sky, getting closer and closer and closer. Barney had a pair of binoculars with him. So he decided to take a look through the binoculars. So he and Betty looked through these binoculars so they could get a better look at these objects that are flashing in the sky. Betty notices that the objects are odd shaped and that the flashing lights are actually multicolored lights traveling across the object. The object is traveling across the face of the moon. Now, in Betty's memory, she had this discussion with her sister some years earlier and her sister said that she had seen a flying saucer. So Betty thought, hey, this must be a flying saucer. So they watched it and looked at it for a while. Barney took the binoculars from her and looked at it and said, no, that's a commercial airliner. It's going that way. It's on its way to Montreal. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's an airplane flying through the sky. We don't have to worry about it. But as he looked at it more, he realized that it was not an airplane. He didn't know what it was. 
I said, okay, let's go back to the car. <laughs> okay, we're going to go back to the car now because now I'm scared because I don't know what it is. Let's go back to the car. So they made their way back to the car and continued to drive down this isolated road, moving slowly through this difficult little windy road noticing that this object was coming even ever so closer, ever so closer. And at one point, the object passed above a restaurant and a signal tower in the mountains that they were in. So they're in, they're seeing this thing moving around them and coming back the other way, back the other way towards them. At one point, as it's moving around and coming back towards them, it passes over these mountains and when they looked at the mountains, Betty acknowledges that one of the mountains was sitting next to or just underneath this, this, this object. And the object sat at least one and a half times the length of this, this profile of this cliff, the mountain. Records show that this cliff this mountain is 40 feet long so if it was one and a half times that means that it was like 60 feet long then they watched it they just watched it move back and forth bounce up and down in the night sky as they were driving through this country road as they were continuing on their journey they saw that the object descended toward their vehicle and it got so close and it was coming at them at such a speed that it caused Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. He didn't keep going to his destination so that nothing will happen. He stopped. The, the craft hovered right on top of them, right on top of them. When they looked up at it, they estimated that it was about 80 feet or so, 50, 80 feet above them above the hills rather, whew. Barney said it looked like a huge pancake. And so he did what anybody would do. <laughs> he reached his pocket and got his pistol. He had stopped his car and got out of the car and moved away from the car so that he could take a better look at it. So on one hand, he's got his pistol. The other hand, he's got, he's got his binoculars. And he looked at this thing through his binoculars so he'd get a better look at it. And he saw eight to 11 humanoid figures out of the craft's windows. And they occurred to be looking at him. So he's looking at this thing coming down. And through the windows, these humanoids are looking and they're looking at him and he's looking at them through his binoculars, right? Okay, so here we are and this craft is landing. As it's landing, Barney heard a message in his mind. In his mind, he heard a message. And that message was, stay where you are and keep looking.
Stay where you are and keep looking. Huh? So I, okay. So he did that. He did that. He stayed where he was, kept looking. He describes a lot of what they look like. He describes a lot of a lot of the detail around what they wear and what they were wearing and how they occurred. But he didn't remember that until after. Right? He didn't remember that. So anyway, they land. Barney stops looking through, looking through his, looking through his binoculars. He ran back to his his car. He was hysterical. He gets into the car and looks at his wife. And he says, "They're going to take us. They're going to capture us." When the object lands, direct gets up directly above his vehicle and goes to land. He drove away as fast as he could. He told Betty. Keep your eye on that. She rolled down the window and looked. She, she looked up and almost immediately the beeping and the buzzing sounds start. They describe it as the sound of sound and such bouncing off the trunk of their car. The card was vibrating and there was tingling sensation through their bodies. And they entered what they described as an altered state of consciousness. There was an, another series of beeping, buzzing noises, and they went unconscious. <sighs> so all that happens. Next thing they know, they're awake. It occurs to them that they've traveled like 30, 40 miles down the road. They don't recognize where they're at. They don't remember going any distance to get from where they were and where they're and where they are. They have little spotty memories here and there of pieces of the road that they had seen and fiery orb in the road. There's these weird little foggy memories, but you know, they have no, no other memories. And, you know, today we call that missing time. That was on the 20th. Cause you know, they started on the 19th. It was like 10, 11 o'clock at night. So it was on the 20th that they received a, um, that they woke up and were driving down the road. That's a significant amount of missing time. They got home, it was about dawn. And they are still kind of tripping on this experience that they had. They are, their body has these weird sensations uh, uh, have, that they can't explain. Their, you know, their watches didn't work. Um, they just had these weird things that they observed, the toes, and her dress bar and Betty's dress shoes were all scraped up. They, they just a lot of things, stains on their clothes. This is the weird thing, right? So Barney gets this um, intense feeling that he's got to go in and examine his genitalia because he doesn't feel like he, he feels like something's not right. So they spent 
like a day kind of coming to terms with this and, and, and comparing notes with each other on what they could remember. And things started coming back. They started remembering faces and, and, and bodies of, of, of beings. So they started drawing for each other what these things look like that they were remembering encountering when they were taken, right? That's when we get to the descriptions of these beings and their shiny clothes with their big, large circled eyes and the, 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 the height of the beings with these long willowy fingers, goodness gracious. And they would sleep. They woke up a little later and started to kind of deal with life. You know, Betty was taking, took her clothes and put them off to the side so that she could so that she could, um, you know, change her clothes for the day, realized that the hem was torn on her dress and the zipper and the lining, they were torn. Um, when she retrieved her other items, she noticed that there was a pinkish powder on some of her clothes. She took the dress out of the clothesline and the pink powder just blew off. She didn't have to wash, it just blew off. But the dress, she couldn't repair the dress because it was so damaged. So she just threw it away, so it's gone. Just right there, boom, threw it away. But then she thought about it and she went back and picked it up. Over the years, people have contemplated what happened. They have gone back and done laboratory tests, chemical tests and forensic analysis on the, um, on the dress. There was clearly something on the dress and they couldn't explain everything about what was on the dress. The car had these concentric circles. They were shiny. They were all over the trunk. Betty and Barney Hill, they, they experimented with, with compasses, you know, magnetism. And they noted that when you moved the compass close to the spots, the needle would move around really fast. But when you moved it away, it would drop down. So here we are the day after the event itself. What happened after immediate aftermath was the report, the initial report to the Air Force and to the um, Civilian National Investigations Committee on Area Phenomenon. On September 21st, Betty Hill contacted the Peace Air Force Base and reported their encounter to the Air Force. Now they had concerns at the time that they were gonna be viewed as kind of odd and kind of you know, eccentric and, and all kinds of stories were gonna come out. So a lot of the details that they discussed with themselves and the stuff that they could remember, they didn't tell. They just kind of told kind of the surfacey stuff to, um, to the Air Force. And that was on September 21st. On the 22nd, they got a call from the Air Force, the Air Force Major, Paul Henderson. The Paul Henderson stated in his report, um, which he filed on the 26th in Project Two and, and submitted to Project Blue Book, that they had the conversation with them, got the detail from them, and that the Hills, he told the Hills that they misidentified the planet Jupiter and that that there was no incident for them to be concerned about. 
So they dismissed them. Okay. So some days go by and Betty goes to the library and borrows a book from the local library on UFOs. The author of the book was Marine Corps Captain Major Donald E. Kehoe. And he is a gentleman who headed up the NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. He was head of the civilian research group and she wanted to talk to him after reading this book on UFOs. So she contacted him and told him the full story, including the details about the humanoid figures that they had seen through the binoculars and Barney had seen in the windows. Okay. So another thing about the Hills is that they were very, very involved in their local community. They were a part of the NAACP. They were leaders in their church. They were very comfortable with talking to people about stuff. They weren't wallflowers. They were very comfortable in their space. And so they also talked to their church groups and let them know as they as they were going through this, this traumatic event, they, they shared with the local church group that they had this experience. And one day they shared their dreams. They shared their memories. As a matter of fact, 10 days after this encounter, the dreams started popping up, popping up for Betty, the vivid dreams. And it's said that she had these dreams 10 days after the encounter and she had them for, for five days in a row. She never, ever remembered the details, the way that she remembered in these dreams. And then pow, they stopped. And she was stuck in there. She kept obsessing over these dreams and over the images from the dreams. She would talk to her husband about it. And he was like, it's okay, don't worry about it. And they dropped it. So they never talked about it again. In November, so that's two months later, Betty starts writing down the details of her dreams. She starts journaling them so that she wouldn't have to deal with them, you know, not dealing with them. So she she wrote each, each dream down that she could remember. She talks about how they encountered a roadblock and men who surrounded her. There were men that surrounded the car. She talked about losing consciousness, but struggling to come back to consciousness. She talks about two small men walking her through the forest at night and seeing Barney walking behind her. She talks about calling out to Barney, but he seemed in a trance like he was sleepwalking. She also talks about the men standing behind her and they're about five feet five feet, four inches tall, and they were wearing ma matching uniforms. They were shiny and blue. They had little caps on. They looked like military cadets. They kind of looked human, but they didn't quite look human. Their eyes were big. Their noses and lips were bluish. Their skin was kind of gray in color. She talks about in her dreams, a new person came up to conduct exams on them. She called this guy the examiner. 
said he was pleasant, he was calm. He conducted the exam with other people speaking in her language. He seemed to speak really good language, but she still had a difficult time understanding him. She says the examiner said that they would conduct a few tests and they just wanted to make note of the differences, I guess, between the humans and themselves. He sat her down, put bright light on her and began the exam. She details some of the things that he did, cut off a lock of her hair, examine her ears and her mouth and her eyes and her teeth and her throat and her hands. He saved fingernail trimmings. He took samples of her skin. He seemed to test her nervous system. He put needles into her navel, which apparently was very painful. And when he saw that she was in pain, he would wave his hand in front of her eyes and the pain would disappear. Oh man, she talks about how the conversations that she was having with this examiner and the leader of the group. She remembers seeing a book with symbols on them. She picks it up and the leader says that she could take it home. So she took it, she, she took it with her in the dream. He shows her a map to show where, where their ship is from. She talks about them escorting them from the ship, but then that there was a disagreement. After the disagreement, the leader comes back and informs Betty she can't keep the book. So they take the book back and that the other person that was in this conversation, this disagreement, said, not only can you not take the book, but you know that guy over there says that you don't get to remember what happened. And Betty says that she would always call it. She says she told them they could do whatever they want, but I'm going to remember this one day. Then they were back in their car. And that the leader asked them to wait until the, until the ship departs and to resume their drive. And that's what they did. Those are the accounts from Betty's dreams. From there, Betty talked to her husband and they talked to their church and shared some of this information. In November, we're gonna go back to November, Betty and Barney Hill were interviewed by the NICAP members. They were interviewed by C.D. Jackson and Robert E. Haman. Now, Robert was at the church when they talked about the church earlier the season. So when he interviewed them, he was one of the people that suggested hypnosis to help them recall their story. So when they had this conversation, they had their missing time that they could not understand. That this missing time concept comes up a lot now, but this was new back then. They traveled 178 miles. It should have taken four hours. 
it took them seven hours. So they had three hours of missing time. So in this conversation of hypnosis, they were proposed that tapping into their subconscious mind would help them. They thought about that. They thought about, you know, is this what they want to do? They were interested, but weren't sure. Barney was resistant more than Betty was. By the time we get to February, 1962, they were making drives on the weekend, going back through the mountains that they had this event, hoping that they could spark some memories or come to some understanding of what happened. They tried to find the location where they saw the orb, but they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure out which route it was. They couldn't figure out anything. They just couldn't do it. So 1963 is the first time that they talk in a group at their church, March, 1963. In November, 1962, they had a church meeting and the guest speaker was a captain, Ben H. Sweat. He was a United Air Force captain and he was very into hypnosis. So the Hills approached him and talked to him about their encounter. And he made the suggestion of hypnosis since they had all this missing time. They asked if he would do the hypnosis and he declined because he considered himself an, an amateur. He felt that they needed more seasoned assistance. Okay, that was kind of interesting they thought, and they moved on. So we go from November, 1962 to March of 1963, when they publicly discuss this encounter with the group at their church. So in September, they had another meeting with Captain Sweat, who gave a lecture at the church and by this time, Barney was seeing a psychologist, a psychiatrist to try to deal with this process. So it was asked if Captain Sweat could meet with the, the psychiatrist and set up hypnosis. So they agreed. They agreed to have a meeting. They met with the psychiatrist. They decided to have their hypno hypnotherapy session and the first session for Barney was in December, 1963. They had a session to discuss the encounter and it turned out that Barney was having much more anxiety than he wanted to talk about. The extraterrestrial hypnosis was dismissed by their by their psychiatrist it wasn't something real that's what it was so but it seemed that he had true belief so psychiatrist says that they generally believe that they witness a ufo and these human-like occupants so let's go ahead and do hypnosis the psychiatrist says so the hypnosis sessions begin january 1964 
in these hypnosis systems. They last, um, actually, they lasted from January 1964 till June 1964. And they were done separately. They did not want them to compare their stories or the stories or recall each other's versions. They wanted to get just clean stories from each of them, from their perspective. And they recalled human-like figures. Then for Barney, there was fear, emotional outbursts. There was not a lot of memory. His eyes were closed through most, most of the examination piece, but he had this recall of the, the beings, the examination, oh, and Barney's sessions did not go deeper because this, the, the psychiatrist was concerned that it would increase his trauma and not, not release his trauma. The pictures that they had drawn when they were first starting, when they first started to remember, when they came home, we look at them and, and they look surprisingly like the grays look today. Um, he didn't have a whole lot of more, um, we call it them because he had his eyes closed most of the time because of his fear. He talked about sperm being taken from him. He talked about his skin being pierced his mouth and his ears being examined. He talked about a cylinder being inserted into his anus and removed quickly. He talked about his spine being um, being counted, the, the vertebrae being counted. He talked about being communicated with, with telepathy. There was a lot of recall in this hypnosis. For Betty, she had more clarity around what she described in her five dreams is that there was an abduction. Um, she considered it a capture and release, not an abduction, similar to what we do in the wild with animals when we're, when we're observing them. She had a less um, frightening memories of the, of the, um, experience and she remembered the star map and she recreated the sketched it out the map that she had seen which she believed is from where this where the alien species is from the conclusion of these sessions was that barney had an encounter a memory of an encounter that was fantasy that was inspired by Betty's dreams. And that Betty's dreams was fancy that she had taken and created out of, out of her imagination. So the hypnosis was done to help alleviate their trauma, but at the end of the hypnosis, it was determined that it didn't really happen. It was just fantasy. Now for Barney and Betty Hill, Betty believed that she was caught and released by an encounter with a UFO. For Barney, 
he accepted that they'd been abducted by occupants, but he didn't embrace it. Betty embraced it. And they walked away from this experience of hypnosis, having a better understanding that they were abducted and they were no longer tormented by the um, missing time or any of the, com com the conflicts that they had as a result. When the series of hypnosis sessions were completed, the psychiatrist wrote it in his journal and his conclusions were that this was not an abduction. It was just an incident, a psychological incident. And that's how it was labeled during the time. Although we look back on this as one of the pivotal alien abduction incidents, at the time, it was dismissed like oh so many incidents were. Now for the Hills, they went back to their lives, right? They were, they were willing to discuss it. This quote unquote UFO encounter with their friends and their family. Sometimes a UFO enthusiast or researcher will approach them and they would talk to them, but they didn't seek publicity. They didn't go out purposely and, and look for attention. There were some stories that came out 1965. There was a Boston traveler put out a story 1966. There was a, a book written about it. There was made for television movies in the 70s. There was a lot of publicity, but they worked really hard to have a regular life. Now, what happened to Betty and Barney Hill? Well, we talked about the anxiety and the stress and the lack of embracing it that Barney had. And it, it had to be hard being a man of color in 1961, living with a, with a white wife that you love dearly, being active in the community and then having this alien abduction story. In 1969, Barney died of a cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 46 years old. He had a short life that was probably ended because of the stress. When Barney Hill died in 1969, Betty Hill became very active in the UFO community and she became a celebrity. She, was, she wrote books. She attended conferences. She gave lectures. She was interviewed. And in, in October 17, 2004, she died of cancer at the age of 85 years old. Betty Hill never married again. So that, my friends, is the story of Betty and Barney Hill. One of our original UFO abduction stories from September 19, 1961. I hope that you've enjoyed this. And if I've missed anything, and I'm sure I did, please get involved in the conversation and let's talk about it. You can find all the contact information about this series right there in the description. I hope you had fun tonight and let me know if you want me to talk about another story and I will see you next week. Thank you and take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.